Now we observe a founder in their natural habitat. Graceful, stoic, smart, and resolved. Their vision is clear. My vision is clear. Their time is theirs. My time is my time. Oh, I'll just put that on Do Not Disturb. The world is theirs for the taking. Nothing is in my way. Uh, I'll call them back. They are a superhero with no weaknesses. In hindsight, Green Lantern is not a cure for insomnia. Such a bad movie. They have all the answers. I mean, I I do read a lot of books. Their business is their baby. Their business baby. Ooh, I can't forget to pick up the kids from school today. The founder has seemed to lost their way only 40 seconds into the day. Okay, okay, focus, focus. You are enough. Yes, yes I am. Ugh, although I don't feel like it today. They are crushing it and making a buttocks ton of money. Tom, the big deal you've worked on for months and months and hung your hopes and dreams on just fell through. Oh, and the team voted and they want to watch Green Lantern for the next movie night. Son of a sheep shearer! Do you want me to keep going? (sighs) Not right now, Kyle. The founder has lost their sheep. Come on, man. Welcome to Commerce Chefs, a quirky and thought-provoking show for future-focused commerce leaders. We're going to pit the world's most brilliant, inspiring, and driven D2C visionaries, the Commerce Chefs, with riveting questions to uncover their secret ingredients at the intersection of passion, performance, and leadership in practice. For the past decade, we've led teams of designers, strategists, and digital wizards at one of the leading e-com agencies in the country to help brave brands become enduring classics. And we're here to indefinitely borrow the strategies and pro tips that will make us all better leaders and make the brands we lead better too. Did you say the brands we leave? Why would I say leave? They're our companies. Oh, yeah. I I just thought there was like a tree metaphor or something in there. So, Tom, today we're talking about founders, the crazies, the dreamers, the birthers of new brands. Well, that sounds kind of gross. Yeah. Well, let's figure out why do they do what they do? What power do they hold? And does being a founder mean holding an entirely different perspective on leadership, business, and the world? Exactly. Founders can often be discounted as being misfits, renegades, maybe even a little ill-equipped. But it takes a certain type of grit and problem-solving to create something out of nothing and grow it. Having worked with a lot of founders, including myself and yourself, I like to think of founders like nuclear power. Harnessed properly can power a city, but when not, can cause incredible damage. Boom. Or we could liken founders to superheroes. Super strength, supervision, but with deadly kryptonite always lurking nearby. Please stop with Green Lantern. Do you know anything about superheroes? I was clearly referring to Superman. Well, whatever your cup of metaphor is, we can all agree founders see their companies kind of like their kids. They truly bring a novel essence to their companies that can't be imitated, learned, or faked. 
It is 100% owned and breathed into life by the founder each and every day. We spoke to Roberta Mantenuto to get her thoughts on this. As the CEO and co-founder of Ari Event, she's been on the ground since day one and helped grow the startup across the continent, spanning B2B, B2C, and B2C. She had some great insights. I think seeing a company at its infancy stages and growing through like maturity gives you a really nice bird's eye view and perspective of where the company has been and where it could go. And I find that a lot of times with my team, when I bring on new people, I have to really explain to them, like, this is a miracle that we're here every single day. I was literally like a year and a half ago here by myself doing everything. And I was just banging my head against a wall. And like the fact that we get to come in today and people actually come to our website, it's a miracle. Instilling that like humble reality to people and making them realize that founders will carry that with them inherently throughout the entire business. And it gives you just a different level of perspective. I think one of the most interesting things that Roberta mentioned is about the miracle of bringing something to life. Yeah, as we mentioned, one of the biggest similarities that we tend to see is that founders really do see their businesses as children. It's their baby. There was a 2017 study at the University of Helsinki, actually, that did MRIs in a group of entrepreneurs, and they asked them questions about their children and then about their businesses, and they found really similar brain activity. Now, I'm no scientist, Tom, and I know studies get thrown around a lot on the interwebs, but for me, that's enough. It very much correlates to my experience. I don't know about you, Kyle, but I certainly have always felt like our agency, PB&J, was a bit of our child. And I always think that you're a bit of a child. (laughs) Anyway, as you so eloquently put it before, we birthed it. We grew it, nurtured it, taught it, supported and protected it, and we gave it daily attention and care. Speaking of our business love child, Tom, we caught up with our former jammer, employee number one, in fact, who's gone on to start her own brand. And it's actually literally saving the world. Amy Hall the founder of Goldilocks Raps, talks about the emotional connection that a founder has with their business. Amy was a top 10 finalist for TELUS's Innovative New Startup Award, and her sustainable products can be found across the country in Indigo stores. She's been featured in Chatelaine Magazine and has been prominently showcased by TV personality Jillian Harris. <laughs> I'm so proud, Tom. When you're the one that's running the company and you're the one that started the company as well, it really does become like your baby. You know, you really want to nurture it. You want to grow it. You really want to see like your full vision down the line. So I think there's a lot more kind of like emotional or personal connection. Some people might see that as a positive thing. Some people might see it as a negative thing. I think personally think that that's a positive thing. I think the business is also moving towards like a more heart-centered form of like leadership and how you interact with your customers. Not to say that if there's not a founder-led companies out there that, you know, are capable of doing that. I think there's just such a more connected way of interacting with whether it's your staff or your customers when it is the founder that's kind of like leading the way from that place. The emotional connection to your own company is far greater than what it would be if it weren't your company. Now, that's pretty powerful and and worth noting. 
A lot of the time, founders decide to start their own businesses out of a personal pain point they've experienced and a desire to create a better world. Tom, does this care and emotional connection start and stop with the company? It's a really good question. I think at the core of this, the leadership approach and the view of a founder is is very heart-centered. But I don't think that it starts and stops with the company. No, I think that founders tend to take the business and everything around it a little more personally. I mean, even just look at things like a bad review. If we were to get negative feedback about an experience uh, with our company, I mean, there's never been any negative feedback. But if we were, for instance, I could see me taking that pretty personally as a reflection on me. But I think the connection expands outside of the company and it really translates to a connection and a protection of the customers as well. So that interaction that we have with the customer and the feelings that we have for the people that are really um, connecting with our brand in the deepest way. Yeah, so we chatted with Courtney Bueller, the founder and CEO of Sugarlash Pro, about how being a founder focuses her leadership, especially in times of crisis, like a global pandemic. In only four years, Sugarlash has exploded from a small home business into the third largest slash beauty brand on the planet. They've been featured in Cosmopolitan, Bustle, InStyle, and they're sold in over 90 countries. I think when, when push came to shove and stuff was getting really hard, I feel like for the most part, I'm very uh, internally focused on our team, right? Like I, I'm always making sure that the company's healthy. But at that point, it was really, really like I was thinking about the mom that, you know, is a single mom and she lashes and now she doesn't have an income and, you know, can't get food on the table. And so always having that vantage point to be like, I was a single mom. How would I have felt if that was me? It was a very, very heavy time to be in that role. But I do think that it impacted it just because I'd been on so many sides of it that it was just like, I almost at that point, if I'm being totally transparent, like just checked out with the internal stuff and gave that to Kim, who's the president. And I was like, okay, you run the internal and I need to think about the external. Like I need to just think about the customer because that's, if we're, if we're not thinking about them, then we're not, you know, going to do a good job through this whole thing. So Kyle... Clearly, there are a ton of strengths that come from creating a business from the ground up. You can see the big picture, you have an emotional connection, you constantly work with your customers in mind. Yeah, but being a founder definitely comes with its struggles as well. There are things that you face as a founder that your team members never need to worry about, and they might not ever understand. Exactly. As a founder, you care so much and have so much on the line that sometimes that can lead to caring almost too much. Amy mentioned some personal challenges with setting boundaries that really relate to this. I think it's that sort of innate, like if you're a bit of an A, not even A-type personality, but a bit of an overachiever. I've been called a perfectionist in the past, those kinds of things. So often have that feeling like you're not doing enough or you could always be doing more. I think especially as a founder, your to-do list is just never done. Like that's one thing that I've just had to accept. It's incredibly frustrating where you're like, it would be so nice to just work on a one project in a day, finish that project and like go home and then like do that again the next day. That never really happens. <laughs> it's just this, you know, never ending to-do list. Yeah, I think for me, there's a little bit of guilt where I'm like, I want to do more. I want to do as much as I can. And then recognizing that that's like my own 
that's my own problem. That's nobody else's problem. No one else is telling me that I need to be doing more. You know, it's like a societal thing. You know, it's this weird kind of existential like society with a capital S. So I'd say that that's like the underlying cause, but I think like the main overarching, and I think this would apply for a lot of people as well, is that not wanting to relinquish that control or give that up. I've been able to do it, but I've had to go through sort of unconscious processes, I think, to be able to get to a stage where I'm like, where I feel comfortable doing that. It's usually, it starts with recognizing that it needs to happen and then kind of coming up with a plan and then like sitting with it and then kind of just finally putting some of those actions in place and and finding the right people. I think sometimes when you find the right person, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm not scared of making this leap anymore. I feel, I, I don't know, maybe I don't know you that well yet, but I trust you and I trust your skills. It's funny because I don't like relinquishing control and giving up certain things or it's like sometimes a little bit difficult. But once I do, I'm like, it's all yours. Like, <laughs> I don't like to micromanage. I feel like we often, within our company too, we tell our managers this, like, it's very much a, like, we'll throw problems at you and we expect you to kind of, like, take it and roll with it and figure it out. Like, I'm not going to micromanage how you decide to do that. It's like, once I've made that decision, it's like I do a total 180 in some ways. <laughs> it's like, okay, we got here. This is yours. I think what was really interesting about what Amy's mentioning here are these two opposing ideas of needing to set boundaries for yourself as a founder, but also making sure that you're not creating too many. So you're still challenging yourself and stepping outside of your comfort zone. Kyle, how do you set boundaries as a founder? Oh, Tom, I, I don't know if I have a good answer for this. I'm definitely learning constantly about this. Uh, I, I think boundaries are such an important piece of the puzzle. If I had to kind mm-hmm. of bucket them into, into two areas, it'd be like emotional boundaries and practical boundaries. And maybe the practical boundaries actually just lead up to the emotional boundaries. I'm really just an emotional ball of <laughs> mess most of the days. Um, but the emotional boundaries of like helping understand like, you know, what is the weight that I should be carrying or need to carry? And what are what is some of the weight that other people on the team need to? And trying to understand as we're growing and as I'm growing, like, like we're talking about like that analogy to kids is you can't carry everything, even though you want to, um, you have mm-hmm. to let the company grow up. You have to let the team do their part and, and, and carry some of that weight with you. So there's like this trying to like, just like constantly work on mindset and that emotional boundary side. And then practically as it connects to personal life and having, um, some sort of thing outside of the company outside of yeah. our team. So like actually making practical, you know, commitments to myself, like, Hey, I'm actually going to stop at five 30 and go upstairs and help make dinner and have dinner with my family. Absolutely. And look, like this is not easy. The business side, there is always this feeling of guilt that, you know, mm-hmm. not doing enough. Am I doing enough? Do I need to be doing more? What else could I be doing? Uh, you know, what aren't I doing that I should be? So every day you're working in, and living with this guilt. It's a weird thing to balance. Why do you think that it's so easy to get in your own head to have this this constant voice and chatter and pressure as a founder? Mm. Can I can I flip this on you? You are like my my mindset guru most days. So can I ask you why do you think it's so easy to get in your own head as a founder? I think it's so easy because sometimes it's all we have. Mm. And I'm certainly fortunate to have you as a co-founder, somebody I can 
share this role with that really understands, you know, what I'm going through, what I'm trying to balance on a daily basis, what considerations I have. But not everybody has that benefit. Getting in your own head is something that we do very well as founders and as people. We're often the the thing that's getting in our our own way most of the time. So I think, you know, working through that, understanding that first, and then starting to just build out little habits that start to understand and recognize when that's happening and how to talk yourself out of it uh, and through it. Roberta talked about this idea of how as founders, we actually need to seek outside perspectives to keep switching things up and growing. For her, she found this within her team. We recently had a new hire who came on and in his first week I said, you come from different companies. You come from way bigger companies. I've never worked at a big company before. This is pretty much my first job outside of university, right? So I only know what I know. Tell me what you think, things, little things that you can think that we can change how we operate our office, how, you know, like give me a different perspective. And that's valuable as well, right? Sometimes when you're looking too hard at something for too long, you forget the most obvious things. I think that you can really get stuck if you hang on to that idea for too long. I think a better way or the way that I see it is we're constantly evolving. We're just like people. If I get hung up on this one idea, it could hurt us in the long run. And that's one of the biggest like difficulties of being of running a business is right. When do I switch it up? When do I reformat? And when do I just keep pushing and going along. And of course, the reason why that's so difficult is because your delusion is going to say, keep pushing, go along. And that could go very well. uh, But you switching it up goes against that delusion. Sometimes you really are just delusional and you need to listen to other people and switch it up. Kyle, I got to say something here. There's a lot of hype and misconceptions floating around about what it's like to be a founder. Yeah, like Harry Potter becoming the youngest founder in the last hundred years. Like in Quidditch? Hmm? He he was the seeker, buddy. Yeah, no, exactly. It's a synonym. Founder is the past tense of seeker, if, if you're the winner. Sure. Time for a little group therapy to talk through all our troubles with Perception versus Reality, Founders Edition. Ooh. Perception. Illustrious founder, CEO spending their week envisioning the future with mountains in the background. That sounds nice, but reality, Mm. half the week is spent in the back office admin meetings and still figuring out how to delegate office supply orders to literally anyone else. Hmm. Never been me. (laughs) Nope. Perception. Read a book a week and become a wise sage worthy of a TED Talk. Reality. Read one book and spend the rest of the year trying to implement what I've learned. I do have about 16 unfinished books on my Audible, though, so I I think that counts for (laughs) something, right? Yeah, that counts for something. Perception. All the vacation I can handle. Mmm. Beautiful. Reality crippling fear of leaving for even a day. Plus, who's really taking vacation now anyway? All right. Perception. 5 a.m. wake-ups and Navy SEAL-level discipline. 
Reality, I hit snooze at least once, but I do watch a YouTube video of Mark Wahlberg's 5 a.m. morning routine, so. Mm, man, Marky Mark making you feel bad on the daily. Perception, emotional stability of a monk. Reality is it's up and down on any given day like a yo-yo on a pogo stick. Mm, I love pogos. Perception, our family and friends don't know what we do all day. Reality, family and friends don't know what we do all day. <laughs> yeah, nobody does. No, I don't know what I do some days. I don't know what you do most days. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's fair. Lastly, perception. Your co-hosts, Kyle and Tom, have it all together all the time and know exactly what they're doing. Reality. Um, is this on? Hello? Can you hear me? Can you fix that in post? We can fix it. We can fix it. Did we already start recording? Ah! So we've talked about the advantages and disadvantages of leading a company as its founder. But how can founders tap into their unique superpowers as leaders? And how do we be mindful of our kryptonite? Hey, there you go, buddy. Yeah, see, I, I know superheroes. Kryptonite's the new Bitcoin, right? Ooh, that's, that's pretty meta. Anyway, Roberta actually touched on this when she talked about getting outside perspectives. She makes her employees feel like they're more than employees. Here's what she continued to say on that. I think it's very possible to make your employees feel like owners. A lot of my employees do feel that way. They feel like they have a part in it. They feel like they have a stake in it because we're still such a small team. So you can still feel the wins as if you were an owner or a founder, even though you aren't and even though you came onto the team afterwards. And I think that's a that is the job of a leader is to make all the employees feel that because founders and make really, or in some cases, make good employees, especially if they feel an ownership to that. Okay, so step one, surround yourself with really good people and empower them to care and feel ownership over what they're doing. Exactly. And so much of that actually comes from self-reflection as a leader. Just be honest with yourself. Courtney talked a lot about this. All the founders or people that want to be founders and they don't know, here's the thing. I feel like at the end of the day, if you're honest with your capabilities and you are like committed to doing the best that you can every day, growth will just happen. Like it's just a byproduct of the work, right? And that's why Sugar Lash has gotten so big. It's not because I wanted to own a company this big. Actually, there's like tons of times that I resent how big it's gotten because everything is slower, right? All these decisions are like are drawn out. I'm very, very much like a startup brain. But with that said, owning I think who you are, owning your limitations and your like shortcomings, if, if you can do that and you don't get stuck in that minutia of doing the stuff that you're not good at, you're so much better for it. And I will leave you with one, my one secret is that know where you work best and know when you work best. And my like literal secret to almost every brilliant idea that I've ever come up with has been it, between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. in a bathtub. Ironically, that's where I know you also do your best thinking, Tom. I think all of our listeners know that now, thanks to you walking in on me in the shower in the hopes of recording episode two. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, not sorry. 
So step two is understanding yourself as a founder. Know your strengths and your weaknesses so you can ensure that you sit in your own superpowers and feel confident empowering others to do the same. Plus, like Courtney said, by understanding your shortcomings, i.e. your crypto night, you'll only continue to grow and by extension, so will your company. Amy mentioned this in the frame of having an innovative mindset where you're basically training your brain to keep iterating, even when things are going smoothly. Even in the more flow times or the easy, like quote unquote, easy times where it's things are going really well, maybe all of those processes are in place, problems aren't coming up. I still think it's a great question to kind of ask yourself is like, you know, well, how are we continuing to innovate? How are we continuing to stay relevant? How are we able to move forward? It's like an exercise. It's less shocking when a major issue does come up and you have to also adopt that mindset. You know, if you're only adopting that kind of a mindset, maybe like once a year, when it does happen, it can be very like shocking and jarring and very stressful. Whereas I feel like if you're always kind of in the back of your mind, maybe asking yourself these questions or, you know, how can we adapt? How can we like continue to improve? Really, at the end of the day, I think that that's like kind of everybody's goal. Then when those things do arise, you have like, you know, that muscle memory to kind of kick in as well. What's the reward of stepping outside of that comfort zone or that like safety and security? There has to be a goal, you know, whether it's for some people, it might be personal growth. For other people, it might be um, wanting to do, you know, the greater good and wanting to, you know, create a better world or leave a better world. Maybe it's for their children. I mean, we obviously work in the, you know, environmental and like sustainable living world. So that's a big common theme. What Amy mentioned here really boils down to the last piece of the puzzle, which is how to stay innovative as a founder. And by cultivating a mindset that's consistently focused on innovation, she's been able to work through pretty major challenges that have faced her company without coming from a place of fear, rather looking at it from a vision or impact standpoint. So three key ways to untap your leadership potential as a founder. Number one, surround yourself with great people and learn to let go. Number two, stay accountable to your strengths and set boundaries for your weaknesses. And number three, lean into that growth mindset that got you here in the first place. Now that is a recipe I can get on board with. So if we see our brands as our kids, and we do, then let's lean into that more, but not like in an obsessive helicopter parent kind of way, but more of a long-term growth-minded parenting focused on the independence and well-being of our business baby. What lasts are the values that we instill, the ideals and the dreams. And when they head off to university and go at it alone, are they really alone? No, we're right there with them. You're always there for your kids, but in different ways as they grow. And more is said about our role and impact in their lives when we're not there than when we are. And so within our companies, we need to get comfortable with not being there all the time. And we need to get comfortable with our business baby growing up. Sorry, friends. Your business baby loves you, but does not want you to go to prom with them. Your role as a founder will change. It should change. Wearing all the hats at the start is fine. It helps you learn the ropes and cut your teeth. But keeping all of the hats? That starves the business of your real strengths and superpowers. So build a team around you. Even the most powerful superheroes need an alliance. Just like the Green Lantern really needs the Justice League. I'm really impressed you knew that. Mm -hmm. 
What are the things that you're keeping from your brand that you shouldn't be? And equally, what are the things that it is inheriting from you? Brands inherit the traits of their parents, you, the founder. So make sure your best traits get passed on. And for those less desirable traits, at least give them the tools and support to deal with it. Navigate. Let's say navigate. And there you have it. That's episode five of Commerce Chefs. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you learned some useful tips on how to unlock your true potential as a founder-led business. We will be coming back to this topic in a few weeks with Founders Keepers Part 2, Founders Deepers. (laughs) That's such a great title. If you're looking for more of that kind of gold, make sure to join the Commerce Chefs community by following us on social at Commerce Chefs. Ask us questions, send in requests, we want to hear from you. We're currently cooking up the next episode of Commerce Chefs, so tune in on March 18th. Lastly, if you like this episode and want to support us, make sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating and review. Until next time, this has been a pinch of Kyle and a dash of Tom. We'll be cooking with you in two weeks. Rather, looking at it from a vision and input. Uh, <clears throat> Can we take that from the top, Kyle? Yeah, yeah, yeah.